Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday, and that means it's time for another Lifestyle Business Podcast where we believe building a business is the ideal way to create more freedom and opportunity for you, your family, and those around you. Today, I am joined, as is per the usual, by my captain, my co-host, a man who puts the NAS into business. How you doing, Ian? Word up. Yeah, good to have you, man. If you guys don't know about us, we are two pretty normal business dudes. We're not full-time podcasters or internet marketers. The unfortunate responsibility of having to run a real business and once a week we get together to talk about how that's going for us. If you guys stick around to the end of the episode, we're going to talk about how you can get rich. But first, let's move on to the shouts. I want to thank listener Tristan for writing us in this week, giving us some fantastic feedback. This week, listener David asked us, I'm interested to hear you guys talk about if I've identified a target market, how do I go after that target market? And the one that David's put in front of us is internet marketers. Well, it's a pretty broad question, David, but I just want to say something sort of in general about how you frame up the idea of what a market is. You know, it's not really effective to call a market internet marketers. I mean, there's a group of people, but you don't really have a business that focuses on internet marketers. The way I frame up markets is by cash flows. So find a specific place where internet marketers spend money, and that's a market. So one example I would say would be like Market Samurai is a huge tool for internet marketers. That's a market because the people who've bought Market Samurai, there's a cash flow there. So what you want to do as a business person is you want to identify pre-existent cash flows and you want to sort of plug your product or service into them. So one way to do that is you could say, well, the customers of Market Samurai are a market. They're one of my target markets and I want to provide consulting to them. So where are those customers? Well, they're probably hanging out at the Market Samurai blog or they're maybe on the Wicked Fire forum talking about the keyword Market Samurai. David, my approach here is a little bit more meta, which is to say, don't think of markets as so general. Think of markets as cash flows of people who are demonstrated buyers of certain kinds of products or services. Does that make sense, Ian? Totally makes sense. So like another example might be like dog owners. Like dog owners is like too broad of a market, right? Right. But if you start to look at dog owners that buy a certain brand of food or a certain kind of collar or bull, then that's a specific target market with cash flow. Yes. And the distinction there that you pull out that makes sense for me is that being a dog owner doesn't indicate any buying behavior. So you can't really target that well. So instead of talking about sort of a genre of people, talk about cash flows and buying behaviors. And that sort of segs into our meat and potatoes. Today we are going to talk about, in the meat and potatoes, six unorthodox content strategies. I got an email from listener Brad this week, and he was interested about the sale process of the Outsource to the Philippines blog and our approach to content businesses in general. And I think we're starting to develop a little bit of a point of view on this stuff. So I wanted to share six unorthodox approaches to content production and thinking about content. We do rack a little bit against blogging just for the sake of blogging. And I do think there's huge opportunity in content. 
I want to just talk about some of our thoughts on that. So thanks, Brad, for uh, giving us the inspiration to get started on this episode. Ian, did you get a chance to read the post we put up at the Tropical MBA last night about the sale process for the Outsource of the Philippines blog? Absolutely, man. I tweeted it. I don't tweet anything I don't read. (laughs) (laughs) I love your approach to Twitter. That was successful. You know, I couldn't be happier about the way things are going with that uh, handover and the transaction. And it's inspired me to start another content business with the Tropical MBA guys here in Bali. We're not going to reveal the niche yet, but we will eventually. And it's a really exciting market. In fact, it's one that you identified with your, I don't know, spidey sense for niches. What's so appealing about this niche for you? Just to step back for a second and talk globally, like what are you looking for when you see a great niche? Yeah, this is a really exciting niche. I'm super stoked to get in this, maybe more so than any of the other ones, just because it's it's brand new to us, actually. So usually what I look for is like some kind of prior experience in, in the niche. So, so far, our niches have come from things that we might have had like jobs previously in or, or expertise in. Uh, so this one... Uh, we have some expertise in manufacturing, which we might be doing down the road with this. But actually, I got this from a buddy of mine who said, hey, there's a problem over here and you guys should take a look at it. So he had experience in, in the niche. Part of the reason I'm really excited about this is because this is a group of products that's primarily being sold right now into industry, but soon these products are going to be sold to consumers. And I think that's a huge opportunity right there when you see that happening. Yeah. And you know, the one thing that I love about this kind of niche is that, and this is a common across most of our businesses, is that it's expensive. And I love expensive products, number one. And this is something that's not shared. And this is huge for me as a blogger, as a creative person. These new products that we're getting into, they're products that people want to talk about. And that gets me pumped up. A lot of our industrial niches, I mean, it's a big eye roll to come up with interesting content, interesting ways to engage potential customers because nobody cares. You know, nobody wants to talk about boring industrial products. Yeah, that's true. But uh, we did come up with one thing one time, and it got us on the front page of Autoblog. Pretty amazing. But <laughs> oh, that's a, a, good story. Story. a story for another time. So let's talk about these six unorthodox content strategies that we are going to employ for our new content-based business. And one quick thing. Let me just take one more step back. I am so pumped up about content business, especially in relation to geo-arbitrage, because I think that there's an opportunity, and you're seeing this with the Tropical MBA, of people who want to have more lifestyle, location, independent type careers. I do think that there's opportunities to base really smart people in lower cost parts of the world to generate high-end content. So one of the ideas I've been spitballing is, wouldn't it be great to develop a private label rights content business that, say, creates high-end slideshow movies for uh, content farms. And, you know, you could just pump out 25 movies per employee per day. Uh, You know, these are the kinds of business models that are sort of interesting and that sort of opening up. But anyway, I've got a lot of ideas like that, so I'm just putting it out to the audience in case you've got an idea like that. Do email me. Our first strategy is focusing on one domain and using an RSS plus page theory. So uh, this is a weird way to say there's two different kinds of content that I see happening on a content-oriented blog-based business. First is like your social content. That's content that goes out to your subscribers. You want to keep that separate from SEO content, which is more traditionally like Mahalo type stuff like Spam Farm. 
See, you don't want to only have social content that goes out to your subscribers on your blog because you want to be answering specific long tail queries for people. Let's say you're putting up a site for DSLR cameras, say a Canon D5. You want to have a piece of content on your site eventually that serves big Canon D5 markets. Say how to find a Canon D5 in Detroit or how to find a Canon D5 in Indonesia. You're going to want to have a page on your site that serves those long tail searchers eventually if possible, but you're not going to want to put that stuff out to your feed. What you're talking about here is uh, when you go to a site, right, and it's got all these like long tail key terms on the front page, and you think, what is this? It's spam. And what the, traditionally the approach that people would take to this site publishers was they would develop sort of a fleet of gray hat sites that would serve this this purpose, and then they'd have their sort of central site that was like the legit one. Well, the approach that I'm going to be taking is is different, which is I'm going to have two tiers of content on the site, and none of it's going to be gray at all. There, these they're going to be. It's just a question of whether it goes out to your feeds, the people that are really passionate about following your entertainment content, or whether that's just going to go to a category that's exempt from the RSS technology so that those things aren't going out to the subscribers and basically causing them to be uninterested in the site. I mean, if we're publishing uh, 20 articles a day that are essentially focused on long-tail key terms, you certainly don't want to send that out to your subscribers. But on the other hand, we want to have that on the site to serve search users. And so that's the approach that we're going to take with this next content business. Yeah. Uh, just so I can understand too, is there is there a scenario where you would have these two different categories of content on different sites or different servers? Yeah, I think you know if your intention was to spam, use other people's copyrights. This is a very common thing to sort of like hijack. Um, if I want to sell Sony cameras, maybe I, I start using Sony and all my branding and domain and stuff. I would say if you want to do gray hat stuff, the industry standard now is to make sure that you put your gray hat sites on a whole different IP system. And I don't really know how to do that because we, we haven't quite taken advantage of that kind of stuff yet. But certainly we can help listeners get on the right path if they want to do that kind of stuff. Those kinds of strategies, Ian, really rely on people being clever. You have to take an inventory of who you are and what your strengths are. And for me, I'm not a particularly technically clever person. You know, I'm more of a consistent. You know, I'll be there every day, working hard, like making good content. And and, and so I think building a great website for a person like me is the best strategy. Now, if you're a clever hacker and technically savvy person, maybe you need to have a, a fleet of crazy IP addresses, weaving them together like the Matrix and stealing other people's link juice. But uh, I just can't advocate a strategy like that because I can't pull it off. Does that Got make it. sense? My number two strategy is a mindset strategy. I like to think of my content on any given blog as a circle. And this is the way I thought. I'll use the Outsource of the Philippines blog as an example of a successful blog sale. I mean, we sold that blog for five figures. We could have sold it for much, much more. Um, and there's no question that the blog that we're creating starting this week is going to be worth well more, way more. I'm just hanging out with a lot of British people lately. Way more than... <laughs> <laughs> hip-hop uh, way more than our last uh, blog was worth. So wh wh how I think about this is basically every piece of content that you create will always solve the same central issue. Your blog solves one core problem. That outsourcing blog uh, solved this problem. How do I outsource my business to the Philippines? So that's the center of the circle. And the great thing about the circle imagery for me is when you think about your way into that 
this problem, there are infinite ways in. So that's a way that you can keep the content generation process interesting to you. Because, hey, even though every blog post talks about how to outsource to the Philippines, you can get there a million different ways. And that might be the experience that you had that day. That might be whatever's interesting you at the moment. Like on the Philippines blog, for example, I wrote about my travel. But I always made sure that I related that to an entrepreneur who would be outsourcing and traveling in the Philippines as well. So I think that that's a way that you can visualize the content creation process so you can stay motivated even though you're answering very narrow, commercially viable problems. So two things here. The center of your circle being outsourced to the Philippines, right? So outsourced to the Philippines is A a valuable thing for people. People are willing to pay money for that and yes. be an interesting topic. So I think you've got to have kind of a mix of those two. It has to be something interesting, but it also has to be something that's worth some money there at the epicenter. Absolutely. And uh, that brings me to our next point, which is, I think, a big problem that aspiring content entrepreneurs have. So I believe you should make your niece selection based on other people's passions, but your content creation based on your passions. Okay, so I wanna give you some examples of how this works because what most people do is they select a niche based on their passions and that lowers the commercial viability of a blog. So a lot of people, for example, say, well, I love travel, so I'll start a travel blog and then I'll be able to create content that I'm passionate about. But what I would, I would never start a travel blog at this point because they're not that commercially viable. What I would do is instead start a blog that reviews potential relocation spots for entrepreneurs. Okay, so you see how this works? Like I'm positioning a niche based on just like what you said, something that people are willing to pay money for. If I'm an entrepreneur and I'm gonna relocate my business, I'm willing to pay money to hear information about that because that's something that I think is a commercially viable niche. But I can leverage my passion for travel to create content for that niche. So an example is if you wanted to start a personal development blog. Why not instead write a blog about how different foods, chemicals, and drugs affect your mental performance? So instead of starting a watch me make money on the internet blog, why not start a blog where you write exclusively about email marketing products and services? You know, like by focusing your energy uh, on a niche that's commercially viable, you're, you know, giving yourself some kind of creative focus, but I still think your broader passion for things like travel and personal development, they're going to come out even though you're starting at a very focused point. So, I mean, this, this simple little move, Ian, of focusing your niche selection on somebody else's problem rather than yourselves, I think in the end creates better blogs and it creates better businesses. That's obvious. Yeah, and it's totally more interesting as well. Right. And, and so I actually believe, Ian, that making content for blogs like this can not only be fun and soulful, but it can be easier. Because I think a lot of people at the beginning, they're like, all right, well, I'm interested in personal, I'm interested in travel. But if, if I start a blog about like travel insurance, I'm a total sellout, right? And so I'm soulless, I'm a, I'm a soulless bastard and like my content is going to reflect that and it's going to be crap. I actually uh, don't agree with that. A lot of people out there, I think they don't necessarily know what niche to attack or maybe they just don't feel like they're an expert. I think this approach too can help you become an expert. So if you're interested yes. in travel, and then you start to pick up on travel insurance, blog about that for two or three years. And before you know it, you're going to become the expert on travel insurance. And then you're going to become an expert. People are going to come to you. They're going to give you money. So I think this approach can lead to expertise as well. That's so true. And, and think about your content circle. If your center of your circle is 
how should I select or what uh, travel insurance should I select? Think about how many infinite ways there are into solving that problem for people. Maybe your trip that day to Machu Picchu is an inspiration for you to write that next blog post. Um, and, And there's just so many ways to get into that. And this is the fourth point, which is by having that small focus creative creative focus you're not just creating content on whims you know this is a classic creative example and and being a content business person is being a creative rules that apply elsewhere apply here too it's a classic example of as a songwriter for me if you walk me into a big fancy $45,000 studio with big mixing boards everywhere i'm going to sit there for six months and a lot of times you'll come out with something worse than if you just recorded a simple demo on your computer. I've had this experience happen so many times. It's like if you limit um, the tools that are at your disposal, sometimes the art becomes better. And you see that with bands like the White Stripes who you know, cut things back in order to become more creative. And I think the same thing could happen, Ian, is if I, if I went to a personal development blogger out there who just wakes up in the morning and is like, well, what am I thinking about today? What if I took that blogger and made them focus on the same thing every day? How do you think the results would change? And do you think they could potentially become a better thinker in the end? I mean, that's the interesting thing, Ian. If, if you're focused on solving discrete problems, your content can end up being more useful, which makes it be more interesting, which then moves you along further. And like you said, that's the path to expertise. Right. I totally agree with this, with this idea. You know, I published my first article the other day over at the Tropical MBA. And uh, part of the reason why I think it was successful was because it was based on my personal experience. I've sat down so many times and tried to just write articles for the sake of writing articles and it never works out for me. I have to have some kind of anchor, you know? So I think this is kind of along the same lines. Absolutely. Let's talk about number five. This is, was a huge coup for us on the OTTP site. So on the Outsourcing the Philippines site, we made over $200 a blog post, which is incredible, especially given how we created some of those blog posts. So let's talk about number five, which is inventory your market's problems and batch the responses. This is particularly effective with podcasts. So what we did way back in January was we thought about our target market, the people who wanted to outsource the Philippines, and we asked ourselves, what are 10 problems that these people would like to solve? So we sat there for about 20 minutes, and it was really easy to come up with these problems, right? You know, uh, Do I need a visa to visit the Philippines? What's the best way to manage uh, my employees? What's the best bank to use to transfer the money? And like, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. And so we came up with 12 problems, and then we sat there and we banged out highly targeted content, probably about five-minute podcasts each, where we solved in some ways, or addressed, would be a better way to say it, each one of these problems head-on, and we dripped that content out over the course of a quarter, so weekly on Wednesdays. So essentially, by doing this one little exercise, we created fiscal quarter's worth of content for a blog in about six hours. So do the math on that, Ian. We created 12, what is that, 12 blog posts in six hours, each worth $200. That was a pretty good day for us. <laughs> yeah, I actually remember the day, too. I think uh, you had about four or five Diet Cokes, and I probably had two or three. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely outdid me on the Diet Cokes, but yeah, it was a good day. So let's talk about our final strategy. One strategy, Ian, when you're on your way to expertise is interviews. Everybody talks about interviews. If you can bring 
highly intelligent people onto your blog, people that know more than you, you can leverage their expertise. One effective way to do this, and I'm working with some of the TMBA guys on this, is to have a product promise and then to offer ridiculous affiliate payouts. So let's get, take the example of overseas taxation services. I want to talk to a guy who focuses on British Virgin Island companies taxation. Okay. I bring you on the program. How are you going to get some very busy, successful person to give you time? Well, I think provide them with exposure, with targeted backlinks to their site, and then you let them know that you'll offer them a 75% affiliate payout on the product on the back end. So if it's, and it's, these are going to be high dollar products because you're basically trying to get two hours of the guy's time or the gal's time. So I think that that's a big ask for people who don't know you. So I think one of the strategies you can employ and I've seen be successful is you go to them and say, hey, this is a $300 product. For every sale that you make, you're going to get $230 from me or something like that. Now that might not even pan out for them. Say they're not an experienced internet marketer and they don't really have much of a sales funnel. But the promise of such a huge payout anyway is a great way to incentivize people. And anyway, most of your sales are going to come through your list and your other JV partnerships. So don't get greedy on those affiliate offers at the very beginning of your business. Uh, my approach would be to go with a big fat affiliate payout, even offer 100% if you need to, to get them on the phone to get those big meaty two to three hour in-depth interviews that, you know, Ian, if you could pull together 10 taxation interviews about overseas incorporation, my wallet's already open. And so, I mean, you can really set the price points high for some of these expert interview type stuff. One thing I just want to say here about the affiliate payout, because I know this hurts, you know, when when you start offering over 50%, 75%, it's tough, right? You're doing all the work and then this jerk that just came on your show for uh, two hours is getting all the money, right? Right. Well, one thing that we found out, which is interesting, is in one of our niches, um, we're actually selling the lowest cost, highest quality product. Actually, we just started selling the lowest cost product maybe in the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. But one thing that we didn't foresee was how many converts we were going to have because of that. And so we're sacrificing basically a margin now. But what we're seeing is huge returns in uh, the numbers of customers that we have and then the amount of business, bigger business that that leads to. So I say sacrifice early up front in order for uh, the big payout in the end. A classic loss leader, hard goods product guys like of us have been doing that for decades now. And with the info product stuff, it's not even a loss leader. It's so bend over a little bit and you're still going to make 20% on this stuff. So that's our suggestion. Those are our six tips for unorthodox content generation. Let's move on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny jokes section. I want to just talk about one quick tip that I hope that people would follow up on. It's basically this Felix Dennis book that we read together about a year and a half ago, Ian, I'm revisiting it this week. And it's just a fantastic book. Basically, Felix Dennis is a absurdly rich man, successful entrepreneur from the UK, who shares in the most candid ways how he thinks people get rich. Man, I just think it's, it's fantastic. I mean, I think he gets one thing wrong for the lifestyle design community, which Felix Dennis feels like the primary benefit to getting rich is that you can buy back your time. What we as lifestyle business owners see is that there's an opportunity to earn your time back before you become filthy rich. Yeah. But what I see that's so great about what he talks about is the things that lead to these kind of success, these amazing kinds of successes uh, that people dream about when they set off on their own lifestyle business. I think, let's take an example of someone who's passionate about traveling versus the example of someone who's passionate about getting rich. 
Who are you going to put your money on? Who's going to end up getting that lifestyle of freedom of mobility? I think that's a tough question because all things uh, being equal and saying that both people have equal amounts of motivation to either travel or get rich. I mean, I think they both have uh, an equal opportunity, don't you? I don't know. I mean, it depends because a lot of times what I'm seeing is people that are attracted to lifestyle businesses, they're motivated away. So they're motivated away from that job that they don't like or they're motivated away from that boss that, you know, sort of puts the dampers on their ambitions and their dreams. Whereas a lot of times the people that want to get rich, they're motivated towards, they're like, I want more responsibility. I want more of the world. You know what I mean? I want more of this. And I do think that that's a great attitude to have, especially if you want to grow a successful lifestyle business. I mean, the motivation away works, but maybe not quite as well as the person who really wants to take it on. You know, so I think that that's one of the things about this Felix Dennis book is that you read it and you just get so pumped up. He has this great section called The Three Misconceptions About the Rich, and he talks about, you know, it's not about luck is one of the things he really points out, which I thought was fantastic. And he's really frank about, you know, what it takes, you know, what it takes in terms of being a little bit of a shit is one of his uh, claims, having a thick skin, having tunnel vision having an absurd tenacity and even if you're not going to be end up being a little bit of a shit like me and you might <laughs> might be <laughs> in um, unfortunately I do think that reading this book would give you a great insider's front row perspective on what it's like to have an incredible amount of business success and responsibility and at the very minimum it'll get you a little pumped up yeah thanks for that Dan I'll be rereading that too I think that was one of my favorites a few years ago Absolutely. So if you do get pumped up, we suggest you use that energy to go make a cold call. And we will join you next week, as is per the usual now. We're sticking to it, Ian. Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks for joining us, guys. Booyah. Hey, guys, and one quick, timely, quick tip I want to add on to the end here about taxes for overseas expats. This is relevant up until the end of the month here, so be sure to listen in. David McKeegan here from Greenback Expat Tax Services. Just wanted to let everybody know that if you've got any offshore accounts, either business or personal, that you have not been reporting to the IRS, the Offshore Voluntary Disclosure Program ends on August 31st. So you still have one week to get yourself sorted with the IRS, get your accounts reported. If you have questions, check out our blog at greenbacktaxservices.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do.